Well, good morning. Can you hear me? Oh, there we go. That's better. Well, before we start, let's uh, just have a word of prayer. Lord, we just thank you that we can come and sit in your presence and hear your word this morning. We just ask for the Holy Spirit to come and move amongst our hearts, Lord, to stir our hearts, Father. Help us to hear and to and move our hearts to respond to you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name, Father. Amen. Well, today we are starting a new topic. And over the next few weeks, um, leading up to Easter, you didn't know Easter was coming, did you? You know, no Easter eggs around, no hot cross buns. Easter's not coming. So we want to spend this time searching our hearts and discovering what experiences and events bring us to that critical place of the upper room. Because that's where we're headed for the next four weeks. We're heading towards the upper room. And why the upper room? Well, because the upper room is such a dramatic scene. It's a, it's a short period of 24 hours, really. Because in no less than 24 hours, after that 24 hours, Jesus would be betrayed. He'd be then taken and questioned. He'd be beaten. He'd be whipped. He'd be ridiculed, laughed at, humiliated. He'd be almost at the point of being physically unrecognisable after being whipped, and then finally suspended between sky and earth for the sins of mankind. The upper room was the finale of Jesus' ministry. It was the ultimate climax of this incredible story and life and ministry of Jesus. Yet the disciples didn't know they were heading to the upper room. They knew the Passover was coming being good Jews. They were completely unaware of the upcoming event. They were living and walking and talking with Jesus. They were experiencing life and ministry with Jesus and he was teaching them. He knows, Jesus knows, the Passover is coming and he also knows that his time on earth is coming to an end. But before we get to the upper room, life for the disciples was still happening and ministry was still happening. And it was kind of like us. We know the upper room's coming and we know what happened in the upper room, but they didn't. So before, but before they got there, we find certain events that were taking place. And one of those events is what Eric read this morning in Luke chapter 7. And in that small 14 verses, we get this beautiful image. Don't you? I mean, I see a beautiful image of a woman coming to the feet of Jesus. And she's crying and weeping at the feet of Jesus. And when I look at that, think about that image, I ask myself this question. How do I love Jesus passionately? Knowing that I'm approaching the upper room. How can I develop the same passionate love for Jesus that this woman had? 
So we're going to look at Luke chapter 7. Now Luke tells us about two characters really, three, Jesus and the other two, who was the Pharisee and the woman. First of all, let's let's look at Simon, the Pharisee. Now, for a Pharisee, it means, outwardly, that he was good. He was an upright, righteous person. He attempted to keep the law of Moses. He tithed his income. He fasted regularly. He prayed at least three times a day. He never missed an attendance in the synagogue. Overall, he was a decent man. And he was probably well respected as a religious leader in the community. However, his relationship to Jesus was formal, distant, and quite cool. I don't mean hey, cool. Cool. And this man, Simon, invites Jesus to his house for dinner. And he's probably thinking, oh, I could have a good theological discussion with this guy. I mean, after all, Jesus was causing quite a stir. So he would be, you know, wanting to probably interact with him and see what's going on. But Simon wasn't having dinner with Jesus as a means to, you know, help his own personal needs. He kind of projected an air of having it all together. He was a Pharisee. For him, Jesus didn't offer anything eternally vital. In fact, Simon probably thought he really didn't need forgiveness. Unlike others, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, who Jesus often sat with and was accused of sitting with sinners. And and, and from the Pharisees' point of view, they were sinners. They were despised sinners. And Jesus' reaction, I'll just read quickly from Matthew 23. This is kind of Jesus' opinion of the Pharisees. Then Jesus said to the crowds, uh, the teachers of the law... And the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. So we have this opinion. So Jesus kind of, you know, and yet he goes to this Pharisee's house. I don't know if I'd be so willing. Search shows where, you know what Jesus is trying to get across to people. And then Simon didn't go out of his way for Jesus. It was normal in their cultural, in the Near East, that, um, you know, you would give a welcome to people. You would wash their feet. You would anoint their head with oil. So that was all culturally. But Simon doesn't do it. And many would think that was rude. I mean, if you went to someone's house and they just ignored you and said, didn't do anything in the you know, hospital, like, welcome to my home, you would think that was rude. 
I would, anyway. And he certainly didn't act gracious to the woman, who's our second character, the prostitute. Now, Luke doesn't mention her name. There's no mention of her name. We have no idea who she is. We can surmise that she must have heard about Jesus, because it says that in the scripture there, and his power to forgive people. Because she turns up uninvited. She was basically gate-crashing a party. Now, although it was another common custom for people to be, you know, to come uninvited, kind of to drop in to hear what the dialogue, because the kind of when they would eat back then, it wasn't like an enclosed building, it was quite fairly open and, you know, people on the outside could kind of walk past and listen and do all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's quite normal. But in this case, with this woman, it's completely different. It would have taken her a lot of courage to seek Jesus out at this gathering, which included other Pharisees as well. She knew that she would have to endure stares, whispers, nudges, laughter. But she wanted to openly express her love for Jesus. And she was willing to endure public humiliation to do it. And I ask myself when I think of that, how do I seek Jesus? How do I seek him out? When she entered the room, eyebrows would have been raised, voices lowered, but she utters no words at all. She asks nothing, not a single thing. She speaks nothing. She doesn't ask Jesus for anything. She weeps at his feet. Now, Jesus wasn't standing. The the Bible says that he was reclining. So another cultural custom of them was to recline. So they would have been on cushions, you know, laid back, and it was very reclining. It was, you know, so she, she didn't have to kind of bend, you know, she would have got down, but his feet would have been quite accessible for her. And she sits there and she wipes Jesus' feet with her tears. And her hair. Now the reaction from Simon is this. Now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is. Who, he, who is touching him. That she is a sinner. And then we have this strange question later on from Jesus saying, Simon, do you see this woman? You can rest assured that Simon saw that woman. From the moment she entered that room, Simon knew who she was and what she did for a living. But so did Jesus. Jesus knew who she was and what she did for a living. But by his question, do you see this woman? He was about to showcase a prostitute 
as an example for a Pharisee or for us to follow. Because the fact is that Simon really didn't see the woman. He had not seen that she had something to offer. She had not something to offer, sorry. She had something, you know, her heart to give to Jesus. And Simon hadn't seen that. He, he needed that. He needed to have a loving, thankful heart toward the Saviour. Now let's examine these two characters. Here we have two completely different people, two completely different backgrounds and two very different life experiences. Which experience could you be? The Pharisee, the one who thinks he's okay, probably stands in the mirror and goes, yeah, I'm okay. Or the woman who has no name, no significance, no importance at all. Her greatest quality is that she loves Jesus passionately. And she shows it in the most incredible and unlikely way. We read in scripture, verse 37, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume oil. And she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to weep, wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and anointed them with the perfume oil. Now, kind of imagine this. There's nobody here. Anybody have really long hair? You don't? Well, okay. <laughs> Diane, maybe. Lauren, maybe. Karen, maybe. That's getting longer. I mean, just imagine this. You know, she's got this perfume oil and, and, and you know, as a prostitute, her hair would have been very valuable. And she has these probably two things which are the most expensive things she owns. And Jesus, his feet haven't been washed. And they washed their feet back, day, back then because they just wore sandals. They didn't have nice covered shoes like we do and they were, all the roads were dirty so they always had dirty feet and yuck, really, yuck. So his feet hasn't been washed. She doesn't care. She doesn't care about the dirt. She has his tears and they're wetting his feet. Then she gets her beautiful hair and wipes his feet. And Simon's reaction to this is utter disdain and disgust. She deserved punishment for her sins. That's how he saw it. Yes, she was a sinner. And that's what they saw outwardly. But Jesus, who knows she's a sinner, looks inwardly and sees her heart. And because Jesus is always loving and compassionate, he tells Simon this story. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He replied, say it, teacher. 
A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who forgives him more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. What did Jesus want Simon to understand? That this woman was important because of her repentant heart. Jesus freely acknowledged her sins that were many, but they were all forgiven. And why were they forgiven? Because she loved Jesus? No. Her love came from knowing and understanding she was forgiven. Her love came from her heart where she knew Jesus loved her first. God loved us first. So where does that put us? Century later, you know, we know we are heading towards the upper room. But what truths can we learn from this passage of scripture? And I've got three for you. The first, to love Jesus wholeheartedly, you must realise your great debt. In other words, you must realise you are a sinner. Jesus, being clever, it gets Simon to acknowledge that both parties are in debt. The greater debtor refers to the sinful woman, the lesser debtor to the Pharisee. Outwardly, men see, see these things. They see who the sinners are. She was the greatest sinner. But Jesus is trying to emphasise they were both sinners regardless and they needed their debts repaid. Before you can love the Lord Jesus as the one who paid your debt, you have to come to realise that you are in debt. Scripture tells us in Romans 6.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not even one. You must acknowledge, I have sinned and am guilty before God. There's no other way around it. Second truth. To love Jesus wholeheartedly and passionately, you must realise you are utterly unable to repay your debt. The debtors couldn't pay their debt. You, to love Jesus, you must come to realise that you are in debt because of your sin, because of the many deeds of our sins we've committed. And we must realise there's nothing we can do to repay that debt. It doesn't matter how much piety, like the Pharisees were doing, didn't matter how many righteous acts that you do, you can't cover up your sin. Look at it like this. Which person is in bigger trouble? The guy drowning at 50 feet of water or the guy drowning at 500 feet of water? It would be ridiculous for the guy 
at 50, you know, 50 feet of water to look over at the guy at 500 feet and think, well, at least I'm better off than that poor guy over there. And it wouldn't do any good for the guy at 500 feet to think, if I can just swim over to the guy at 50 feet, I'll be okay. What's wrong with that picture? Anybody? They're both drowning. drowning. (laughs) Yet, we can often think like that. You know, the self-righteous sinner can think, I'm I'm better off than that poor degraded sinner over there who's drowning at 500 feet. But all the while, he's still going down at 50 feet. See, they're both lawbreakers in God's sight. Makes no difference, they're both drowning. So that brings us to our third truth, and that is to love Jesus wholeheartedly, you must totally trust in God's grace to forgive your unpayable debt of sin. And it says in verse 42, when they were unable to repay, he he graciously forgave them both. What wonderful words. Graciously. Why did he forgive them both? Did he look at their characters and think, you're worthy for me to do this? No. Did he extract a promise from them? No. He forgave them graciously or freely. It stemmed totally from him and not at all from anyone else. Jesus forgave us graciously. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank God for that passage. Why were we yet sinners? Christ died for us. God did not wait until we became good. He didn't wait for us to get good enough to be saved. Why? Because God we would, knew we would never be good enough. So God took the initiative to provide a way for us to be made right with him through the death of Jesus. Why it is called God's grace is because we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. It is God's gift because of his tremendous love for us. You see, the more you see your debt and your own inability to repay it, the more you see how much the Saviour did for you. He took the penalty for our sin on that cross. God went to great lengths to save us. Great lengths. And it wasn't just a, you know, like a spare of the moment thought. He planned it right back at the very beginning when man sinned. He decided right then and there, I'm going to save man. That's what that woman 
experienced. That's what motivated her to gate crash a party where she was not invited and her presence was not welcomed. But her desire and thankfulness for Jesus outweighed everything else. Her fears, her humiliation. And my question is, how far would I go for Jesus? How far would you go for Jesus? We need to acknowledge that we are sinners. We need to acknowledge that we can't repay our debt for our sin. And that because God loved us first and had his son pay the price for our debt and our sin, we need to receive him as our saviour. To finish up, the woman of this story is our example. I want what that woman experienced. I want to be able to sit at the feet of Jesus, weeping and crying aloud, thank you, Jesus. Change me, Lord. That woman was changed forever. And when I sit at the feet of Jesus, I need, not to, be, I need to be ready to accept God's illumination and not be afraid of what God shows me about myself. I want God to be able to shed light on my routines and my habits, which habits are good for me, which are, which are bringing me closer to God and which ones are drawing me away. Are there, more, are there habits that are more harmful than others that I would like to actually admit? Are there things that I let become idols? I don't mean statues. I mean things which I place such importance on that it draws me away from God. Things like, you know, you know people can get really caught up with rock stars and movie stars. They're like idols. So as I head to the upper room for Easter, I just want to be like that woman where she's just wholeheartedly and passionately at the feet of Jesus. Knowing that I'm saved by God's grace and God's grace alone. That I'm forgiven. The woman was changed forever. I want my spiritual walk to be continually changed by God's grace. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your grace. It's such a, a small word, Lord, but it means so much. Help us to fully understand the lengths and depths of your love and how far you went to save us. Help us, Lord, as we approach the upper room to sit at your feet weeping and searching. We'll have an open heart to let you change us, Father. Change us for the better. We ask all of these things, Father, in your name. Amen.